Welcome to the Monster Movie Happy Hour, where uh, three friends enjoy two of life's greatest gifts, cocktails and monster movies. I'm David Geister, one of your three hosts. I'll be joined, as usual, by Mary Chowman. Hi, I'm Mary Chowman. I'm a historian here in the Great White North, Minnesota, and an avid monster movie and horror movie aficionado. And I'm Scott Cheesebro, and I, too, am a historian and longtime resident of the land of 10,000 lakes with multi-varied interests. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. <laughs> and, uh, and I am also a historian, as, as well as an artist and a picture book illustrator, and a great lover since very earliest age of monster movies. And uh, what we do uh, periodically, and this is going back a few years, is to get together on Friday nights and sit down and, and watch one or, two, uh, one or two movies, usually an older movie, sometimes a newer movie. Scott and I delight in sometimes introducing Mary, who admittedly is half our age, <laughs> to a movie that she possibly has never seen. And she likes to surprise us with some more modern selections, and she has not yet disappointed us. And uh, tonight, we thought, uh, since this is, in fact, our, uh, what would we call it, our, our launch, if you will, our uh, inaugural episode. I was going to say, uh, where they, the, the time where they throw the bottle of champagne on the ship and off it goes. That's us, right now, yes. We're about <laughs> to throw a bottle of champagne on their proverbial ship here in Minneapolis. Uh, we thought that we would watch uh, a relatively new movie uh, called The Love Witch, which uh, came out in 2016 and was created by Anna Byler Productions. And we have not yet seen this movie, so uh, the reactions that uh, we will share with you in a short while will be, uh, so to speak, right out of the gate. Uh, and in honor of this movie, and this is something we intend to do frequently in future, is we have a special cocktail. Mary? So our special cocktail of the evening is, unsurprisingly, the Love Potion, which features two ounces of vodka, splash of grenadine, splash of simple syrup, and muddled strawberries shaken and then poured over dry ice to create a bubbling, uh, smoky drinking experience. And uh, from experience, it's very tasty. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. We've already had two. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And we'll have a couple of more, which, uh -huh. to be honest, could make for, at least from our standpoint, a very interesting evening, uh, hopefully from... Your, the listener standpoint, <laughs> it might not be a total disaster, but we'll, the, we'll see. The, we're drinking it out of martini glasses, and the dry ice gave just the right amount of kitsch that I feel like pairs very well with this movie, which is looks incredibly atmospheric and just straight out of the early 70s, which it's not, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah, it really does look the part, doesn't it, though? It is, as we discussed earlier, it looks very much like a Hammer film of the early 70s. Right. And the, uh, right. the aesthetic, the color is uh, really pops out at you, and yeah. it looks, it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and something that I find rather fascinating, uh, just in reading about this movie, once again, we haven't seen it yet, but just in reading about it, Anna Byler apparently is a uh, force of nature. She not only directed it, but she is the uh, producer, she's the writer, she created music. She did the film editing. She did the art design and, of course, set direction and costuming. So, obviously, uh, fully invested in this movie. 
And I just I find that fascinating and laudable. And then the uh, cinematography by, was by uh, M. David uh, Mullen, who filmed Jennifer's Body, episodes of Westworld, uh, I believe Mad Men, and a number of other mm. shows that we've all seen, which might explain why just in the trailers it really looks beautiful. And then, of course, there's a, a cast here of interesting folks, and we'll talk a little bit more about them, I think, after we've had a chance to actually watch the movie, right? Does that make sense, yes, friends? Yes, absolutely. We have Indeed. watched the trailer, and I'm very excited to see Samantha Robinson as the... Uh, titular character yes. of the love witch Elaine um, she looks like she I mean she just embodies the role in such an incredible way her voice has that quality of the early 1970s she looks the part she she, she just hits all the right notes yeah, she I'm, really does absolutely she excited. has she has a large amount of charisma well put well put so I think uh Folks, we are going to fill our glasses once again, and uh, and we're going to start watching the movie. And uh, we'll take a little break here uh, and come back after we've had a chance to view it, and then we'll talk about it and, and give you our impressions. Right? So uh, cheers. 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 <laughs> Currently, what the young people call lit. No, I can tell you from experience, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> what do they call, what what do, what do they call it in your day? <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the horse and buggy era, what do they call that? In eighteen dickety two. Eighteen dickety two. I don't know what. I'm not even going to dignify that with an answer. I'm teasing. <laughs> I think we may want to start talking about sure. the movie that we just finished watching. <laughs> uh, folks, we just finished watching The Love Witch. And uh, it came in at 120 minutes. Uh, we did have a few interruptions uh, throughout, largely so that we could refill our cocktail glasses. Uh, but my first impression is that I, I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, Mary, what's your thought? I thought it was beautiful. There's, I, I had read, I hadn't seen the film before this, but I'd read a couple of articles online about how this was a, a feminist horror movie, and it tracks. I thought it was really interesting. Um, we talked about this throughout the uh, the film, but um, the flagrant showcasing of bodily fluids I thought was fascinating. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Scott? I, I, I'd have to, <laughs> yes, yes, Scott, what is your opinion on this flagrant show creasing of... Uh, I'm all in favor. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Well, and, and, and also, quite frankly, uh, the, uh, the use of male nudity, which is relatively recent, uh, at least to the degree we, we've seen in movies, uh, oftentimes by, by women as directors, and uh, a welcome change. Mm-hmm. So, Gosh, I don't even know where to start. Well, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I I liked her. I liked the use of internal monologue throughout the film. I thought that was really interesting and very 1970s. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, movies for the most part have gotten away from, at least I think, uh, uh, the sort of the, the narration, you know, the internal monologue. But but it seemed to be in keeping with the piece here. 
They also throughout the film highlighted something that I thought was really interesting, which was the concept of abuse and emotional abuse, specifically withholding love and emotion as punishment. Sure. Which fully qualifies as a form of emotional abuse. Um, and I thought that focusing on that was, I mean, even for our time, very avant-garde. I'd agree. Yeah, Scott, what is your general feeling about the movie? Um, well, uh, as we sort of stated early on, it's it's a visually stunning film. And it aside, really, the only aspect of this film that would have clued me in that it was a recent film was the use of automobiles that were contemporary automobiles, although, the, interestingly, the main characters drive older cars. Correct, yes. Um, but, you know, the, the film starts with uh, the lead character driving a Mustang, a Ford Mustang of late 60s vintage, uh, and clearly, in the style of that day, um, the uh, movie is rear projection behind her as she's driving. She's obviously not on a on a city street. Yes, which I found interesting. How and, does and, and, I, and I, I'm sorry. No, what you were go first. You well, go first. Yeah, I, I think that was probably an obvious choice on the director's part. I think it's a little bit uh, choice. Yes, because it really it really points to sort of the artificiality of the whole thing, and and it just sort of opens up. Uh, all these possibilities for a more stylistic approach. Uh, the, the, the movie is not grounded in realism in any way, shape, or form. Correct. And, nor should it have to be. And, and in the end, I think that was one of its strengths. Here's a thought. So I think one of the themes throughout the film, both in its production and in the story, is this concept of artificiality, where the medium itself is artificial. Sure. And I think that the director is a little cheeky about it where she has modern cars in the background where one character uses a smartphone mm -hmm. in one of the scenes, which I thought was brilliant um, and very funny. And it almost made you, it feels so, the film feels so immersive that I even was like, like it made me, it made me believe that, like, oh, of course they're pulling out a smartphone in the nineteen seventies. Sure. <laughs> even though intellectually, I'm like, no, that's not real. Yeah. Right. Um, but even throughout the film, there is this concept of what what is real love and what is what is real emotion that I think the main character Elaine manipulates in a lot of ways, and also both consciously and subconsciously. Yeah, and I think that she desires real emotion but feels like she has to gain it through artificial ways, mm -hmm. um, which I think is something that women are socia socialized to, I don't know, women and men, I guess, or all all people of all genders um, are socialized to, to try and achieve. And I think that this is uh, explored through the, the one specific tarot card that keeps resurfacing, which is the Three of Swords. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. Um, which <clears throat> I looked it up on the internet. Yes. And, <laughs> goodness for the internet. And found that... The oracle. Um, the oracle. Yes, the oracle, the divine oracle that tells us all things, mm -hmm. um, much like the tarot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Indeed. That the drive of the Three of Swords is like is melancholy, facing of painful truth, um, and that it's... the it can be read as um, a way to 
interpret understanding sobering or losing but beautiful but false illusions uh-huh. which is the key to all of this i think i i think there's something there you know it occurs to me folks one thing we have not done for uh, our, <laughs> our our vast audience our listeners, we haven't really given any sort of a, just a brief synopsis of what the movie is about. That's and, a good uh, point. Who wants to tackle that? I nominate Mr. Cheesebro. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Very good. Your well, mellifluous tones will good. carry us through the film. Yes, don't disappoint yes. us. Well, <laughs> in, in a paragraph, um, this is an apt description. So the protagonist, whose name is Elaine is a beautiful young witch, and she's determined to find a man to love her. In her gothic Victorian apartment, which she uh, takes residence in at the very beginning of the film, she makes spells and potions and picks up various men and uh, seduces them. However, her spells usually or always end up working too well, and she ends up with a bunch of hapless victims rather than lovers, and when she finally meets the man of her dreams, her desperation to be loved uh, drives her to the brink of insanity, at least according to this. Uh, there's some argument, I would say, there. And murder. Uh, with a, And this is a, it describes the visual style, which is a tribute to Technicolor thrillers of the 70s. I would say it very much is like a Hammer film, if you're familiar with those. Certainly. Um, and the love which... Uh, again, according to this encapsulated description, uh, explores female fantasy and the repercussions of pathological narcissism. Um, I would say that that description in a, in a thumbnail way is perhaps correct, but it, it doesn't really um, give uh, due justice to the film. It's, um, it's simplistic, uh, but it's a hard film to describe. Um, well, well, and I, I, if, if I could, if I could jump in here for just a moment, th- this is one of those interesting areas where I'm not entirely sure how I would, uh, if I had to pigeonhole this movie. You know, what category does it go into? Mm-hmm. I uh, see online that it's listed as comedy horror, and I don't think it quite fits that. I don't think it quite fits into either category. I mean, I th- there's. I've seen movies of different genres that no one would describe as comedy that had the same, uh, at least in least in regards of the time, the ta- running time of the film, had an equal amount of humor to it, and no one in their right mind would have said this movie was humorous. Although we did laugh quite a bit at one specific part. That's true. That's true. <laughs> we'll get to that part in a minute. But but you know I don't. I would not say this movie is, from my, speaking from my point of view, I wouldn't say it's a comedy. And if it's a horror, the, you know, there are horror movies that are, uh, for lack of a better term, benign. You know, there's really not much in the way of gasps or uh, one being taken aback. Um, so... If it's if it's horror, it's horror in a, in in a really benign sort of sense. But I'm not sure what you would categorize this film as. Is there Correct. could there be a? I don't know if this is a specific subgenre within the umbrella genre of horror, but um, witch horror because I feel like that 
that concept of is it real is it not you know that you know quote benign horror Mm -hmm. um is very present in witch films whether it's i mean to some extent the craft Mm -hmm. where there isn't extreme violence or you know there's some sort of gasp moments but um but nothing nothing like scream perhaps we could say it's more uh sort of supernatural uh, horror Mm -hmm. light if you will Mm -hmm. i think that's as opposed to comedy perhaps uh, occasionally dark comedic uh, tones yeah if uh, aside from the nudity that's in the film i would say this movie would have been easily been pg you know Mm -hmm. I, i don't i didn't see anything in it that the violence certainly was on a pg level sure Sure. Um, and I and I don't think this movie would have benefited from extreme violence no, necessarily. No, I don't think it would have made any difference as far as a- advancing the story. No, no. Um, I think I have to say, just the visual style is the one thing that just to me kept coming through over and over and over again. Uh, and 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 I, I I mean I mean that in a, in a positive way. Yes. Uh, it it was such a unique viewing experience. Right from the the very beginning, you feel like you're you know sort of being wrenched back in time, mm-hmm. uh, and and by that mirror I mean the time that Scott and I literally grew up in <laughs> <laughs> movies we watched in our youth. Would you Would you like to know something? Uh, I I don't know if I want to to share my <laughs> oh, I, my age with oh, our viewers. Here she goes. Listeners. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was uh, the time of my parents. Possibly before they even remember things. Yes, I think that's probably true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I was not far removed. Now, I saw this film as looking like something from circa somewhere between 1972 and 74, hmm. visually. What makes you say that? Oh, as I said earlier, it just looks like a hammer film of that era. And Mm -hmm. some of the fashion... Reminded me of that, and certainly some of the colors, the the palette, and therefore, uh, this would make me somewhere of of a lad, not older than ten, but not quite fifteen. So. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I, I felt uh, perhaps the use of those filters really gave it a wonderful sort of a retro. Mm-hmm. feel to it there are scenes that that definitely created that psychedelic illusion that we used to see in movies from the late 60s and early 70s we talked about the prisms use of the prisms. yes the prismatic mm-hmm. effect mm-hmm. here there mm-hmm. uh and uh, just uh, come back to the, the palette these wonderfully lurid reds mm-hmm. and uh and pinks and <laughs> and, you know, and purples you know what i noticed um throughout the film as Elaine sort of moves through men. She changes her her personal color palette, mm-hmm. but it's all monochrome. Mm-hmm. And I find I make I, that that's very interesting to me. Sure, where I don't know, maybe that speaks of the change that women are expected to go through in some cases, or or how they change for men. Yeah, in or how they're. You know, social in. Oh, I mean, I hope this is a trend that's or not a trend, but a social norm that's dying out. Um, but how, in many hundreds of years past, that women were expected to change themselves for men, mm-hmm. and they would tailor themselves to them. 
and I to me that's what that sort of spoke of well the main the main character here uh, Elaine definitely time and time again uh, tries to create at least the illusion of the the perfect male uh, fantasy figure. do you do you think she's actually a narcissist uh, well perhaps I a think tad. she's she might be an unconscious narcissist sure she may not even be conscious of her narcissism because she the way she perceives the world she she's trying her best to capture what in her eyes is the perfect mate and 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 is so blinded by her narcissism that she doesn't even know could well be and we're talking about the character Elaine that was played by the actress Samantha Robinson and I who deserves she, a round of applause yeah absolutely really, I, I thought she, absolutely. in fact here let me raise my glass to her right now <laughs> cheers. cheers well done uh, she did a she did a wonderful job I, I really uh, I was captivated from the very beginning and, and quite frankly right up to the very end uh, it was a combination obviously of, of, of the color the palette uh, the costuming the makeup but her performance, you know, carried it off. Yeah, she's clearly the star of this film. Right. I mean, there's no doubt about it. That's right. And and she gives a, a, a performance worthy of the um, title character. Um, there were a number of moments where we all, she did something on screen or said something a specific way. But for me, there was a, she was with one of the, her her lovers, um, the the husband of her friend. Oh, Trish, the, Trish, the, 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 yes. the friend Trish, uh, mm-hmm. played by Laura Waddell. Once again, cheers! I thought she yes. did a, she did a fantastic job. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. yes. Um, but she was with Trish's husband and gets pulled down onto a couch um, and gives a little shriek. But it was I turned to Dave and Scott and said, "Oh, that's a very that's a very 1970s shriek." <laughs> because <laughs> it was sure yeah there was sort of a sort of a playfulness to it i guess whether it was real or mock playfulness i'm not entirely sure but it, it certainly seemed appropriate for the uh for the movie and it did seem part of the yeah part of the time that uh that the director anna byler seems to be evoking here and once again it's just such an interesting uh combination of factors at play where you are almost always ready to believe it's the late 60s, early 1970s, mm-hmm. and then once again, very obvious modern references uh, sprinkled throughout, and, um, and and sort of playing with your sense of what's real and what's not real, and how much are we supposed to believe and about it, this world, and the fact that the witches apparently are a known entity, yes. and they exist. Yes, that The was, police officers mentioned, people mention this at various that, points the in towns, the movie. People in the town. Yes, burn the witch, yes, burn the yes. witch. Well, well, or even say that, you know, that's the witches, you know, oh, that's right, so yeah. it's a... Right. You know, like, sort of like a shunned part of society, if you or will. Or almost like a, like a cult vibe. Right, right, right. Right, yeah. But the fact that they yeah. obviously exist, uh, I thought was an interesting choice. And uh, you know, and oh, and, and while 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 we're while we're heading down this uh, this sort of which for me it felt kind of like a nostalgia uh, trip, just thinking oh, in terms yeah. of those movies oh, yeah. uh, from from the '60s and '70s. The music I thought was fantastic. I'm I really enjoyed that. Lord, that this this film was. 
written, directed, oh, edited, yeah. produced, set decoration, costuming, and the, the music. music. Who is... I... All by, the, I, all by the same person. All by the same all, person. All by, right, just, right. How did she? How did she do that? I just want to. I just want to get inside her brain. I like, know. How, I'd love to talk to her at some point and just ask her, "How did you pull this off?" Because uh, the music, music was perfect. Well, yeah, especially given the fact that, folks, just a f- few nights ago, the three of us uh, went to the uh, Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota, and we watched and listened to uh, Claudio Simonetti, uh, a member of Goblin. Uh, perform with his new version of Goblin, uh, the, the the soundtrack for Dario Argento's uh, Profondo Russo, Deep Red, and it was this fantastic live performance, and this just this this real awesome 1970s Italian Euro horror mm-hmm. uh, musical soundtrack, and I and I got hints of that. In, oh yes, in, in the Love Witch. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, and hints of Ennio Morricone. I mean, it just all these wonderful little references that I, I felt were scattered throughout it. And I just, I, I kept falling in love with it because of the attention to those kind of details. You know what? Some of the the set decoration reminded me of was a movie that we watched recently, as well called The Mask of the Red Death. Oh yes, um, Corman film from late sixties. I think so. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Where yeah. they play yeah. with monochrome in oh, a way absolutely. that I find bold monochrome. Oh yeah. Um, in a way that I saw echoed in this particular film as absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yeah. Something yeah. about those reds and those purples yeah. and those, those yellows. very vivid colors. I want to know very what f- what camera they used to film this. Yeah. A lot it, of lot of uh, filters that that enhance color. Mm-hmm. That's for certain. It, I would think so. It translated like the, um, gosh, like when they would put Vaseline mm-hmm. on the. Mm-hmm on the lens of a camera that's that's, that's what it read to me and i kind of i don't know it it felt authentic enough that i if they if someone told me it's like yeah it was shot in 35 millimeter it's like yeah I'd, i believe that yeah. <laughs> oh sure it's yeah. it's yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it's entirely possible I, I in fact you know i think she might have shot this in 35 millimeter and then she edited it herself in 35 yes. well, millimeter right and, and right. give her an I, oscar I, I could be wrong but i i seem to remember reading that she she did this and apparently it was a fairly troubled shoot in many ways yeah you know it's uh it's really a credit to her that you know especially in the industry today for a film like this, um, you know, she obviously must have realized or at least had some hint that um, this may be her only chance and therefore wanted to produce the best product possible. or she the best, did. And, and absolutely. And, and the fact that she was the lead person on so many elements of this film makes it really i mean it's it's tossed around a lot but makes it really a labor of love sure. in that she must have put her blood sweat and tears into this film uh and and you know ultimately at least from my point of view it's not a perfect film uh but it's it's certainly uh, a well worthwhile film to view um, well, and, I, and I think I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you no, no. That's it. Well, I think this is as good a time as any to uh, to just ask each each one of us. So, on a scale of one to four, cocktail glasses, or or, or, or let's say shot glasses, on a scale of <laughs> one to four shot glasses, uh, what would you give this this film, Scott? I'd say three. Three. Okay. Three. Sure. 
I'd also say three. It, it was the the production design was incredible. The it echoed a, a previous time and previous films without feeling derivative. Sure. Mm-hmm. The costumes. I would love to talk more about the costumes because they were incredible and the set design was great. And some of the little modern hints sprinkled sprinkled around. I still the 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 smartphone um, bit where Trish calls someone up in a cafe yes um i just thought it was very cheeky oh yeah absolutely yeah i, I mean i i remember laughing out loud at that point well from my standpoint my, my first thought was i wanted to go maybe two two and a half cocktail glasses but i've got to go three uh I, I wish i could go more uh as you say it, it's not a perfect film but but damn it's 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 a really strong strong effort and and as you said scott uh, uh a true labor of love. Oh, absolutely! And uh, yeah. uh, so, kudos to uh, to Anna Anna Byler and and Samantha Robinson and Laura Waddell and uh, Jeffrey Vincent Paris. All these. Oh, and I sh- sh- you know I think we mentioned a little bit earlier that the photography, the cinematography, was by M. David Mullen, who you know had done Jennifer's Body and Westworld. Uh, they they really pulled off, I think, a very unique film that's going to be really hard to classify. And I think that uh, your your average, however you want to define that, your average horror movie aficionados, uh, somebody who perhaps prefers slasher films or pure monster films or kaiju films or what have you, they're maybe not going to quite know how to feel about this. And I'm not I, I, I'm not saying that it, this is a, a you know a high art film that's inaccessible. It just it's it's hard to hard to classify. But uh, but I, I I recommend it. I think people should give it a try. Yeah, and, uh, you know I, I agree absolutely. And and I would say to those people that if you unless you're a purist, um, if you ha- if you're adventurous enough to watch films uh, that not don't necessarily fall in with that narrow genre of uh, subgenre of kaiju or slasher films that it, it's worth your time it's most definitely worth your time here, here. Uh, especially for those who have some background in in older films who are familiar with some older films you'll really appreciate this film and this film i think did a lot of things to subvert the genre in a lot of ways um my favorite scene in the entire thing okay well I have two favorite scenes. No, three favorite scenes. <laughs> okay. I can't pick between the three. That's all right. You don't scene have to. Scene number one is um, a scene uh, early on in the film after she has um, been with her first lover, a college professor, and she's in the bathroom and she rips open a paper tampon wrapper. Yes, yes. And I thought, I, I don't think I've ever seen someone <laughs> open a tampon package in a film. And I was like, huh, sweet. That's uh, That's such a... I just thought it's unique. It's wonderful. And there's a line in there where it's like tampons aren't gross. Mm-hmm. And right. another right. line where it's like, how many men have seen a used tampon? <laughs> and it, it sincerely made me wonder. It's like, huh, actually, though. <laughs> well, that's a good question. That's like a, that's a hell of an icebreaker. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Try that at your next party. <laughs> I, I shan't. Hey. Hey. This is why Mary does not go to a lot of parties. <laughs> <laughs> this is why, this is why I work. 10 hours a day and then go home and hide. That's right. And, uh, and Mary, so then you said you had, well, I tell you what, uh, let, let, let's stop for just a moment because I want to hear what your other two scenes are. But to recap, in, in terms of the number of, uh, of the shot glasses that we bought this, uh, 
I'm not a math genius, but <laughs> this basically the average comes out to three, That's not right. four. That's right. And uh, so I, I would recommend this movie. Yeah, cheers to you, Anna yeah. Byler. This is absolutely. I look forward to your next work. Yeah. She's yeah, I, absolutely. I followed her on Twitter, and it looks like she's got stuff coming yeah. out. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd like to reach out to her at some point, and, and I would love to be able to, uh, for you know, for us to at least have uh, even a brief conversation with her about the making of this and and mm-hmm. just her aesthetic and what she's shooting for. Uh, so, Mary, I know that you had two other scenes. Did you want to mention them before sure. we move on to our our, our discussion of, of what we've been up to lately? Absolutely. So the second scene that I really liked was the scene where she's seducing Trisha's husband. She puts on a record, and it's creepy as hell. <laughs> and this is the husband played by, uh, I think it's Robert, uh, Robert Seeley yep. is the name. Yes. Every actor in this film did exactly the right job, which yeah. I thought was wonderful. Yep. Everyone Absolutely. just was perfect. Yep. The they casting was wonderful. They nailed it. Um, they nailed the tone, you know. Absolutely. I think they got the tone, what she was going for. Mm-hmm. And Elaine does this... I mean, um, amazing retro striptease, um, retro by our standards, but to this very creepy music. <laughs> yes. And it's, it, it was it, w- wonderful to watch, but the thing that stood out to me was like, all right, this is very, this is very creepy, but the lingerie is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. I want to, Anna Byler, where'd you get it? <laughs> I don't know if a creepy striptease would work for me, um, but I could sure as hell try. You could try and get the soundtrack. And- I could. I, I'm sh- I'm- <laughs> In fact, shall I report back? Yeah, sure, sure. You, you tell have, us how that goes. You have Dan tell us uh, how, th- how this all plays <laughs> out. He'll be on the next episode. That's right. That's no right. Um, and then the last scene that I thought was brilliant was the one – Okay, to set the stage, we're all sitting, you know, I and Dave and Scott are all sitting watching The Love Witch. Um, Elaine and the detective, Griff. Yes, yes. Played by... Uh, I want to be able to pronounce his name correctly. Jian? Jian Keys? I, I, I really hope I didn't mispronounce his name. G-I-A-N. Jian Keys. Awesome. Well, Griff and Elaine... Um, are off riding horses in uh, oh, I know where you're going white, with this. <laughs> white button-down shirts looking like a pair of J. Crew models. And in the background, we hear this like flute music, like this very quaint flute music. And, and Scott goes, what is that? And I say, glibly, probably a Renaissance festival. And they walk, and what do they walk into, Scott? <laughs> a renaissance festival (laughs) in which and you can actually i think you can find this on youtube because i looked at the love witch i saw the love witch trailer and then wedding sequence but this whole sequence is this amazing recreated renaissance festival 70s (laughs) renaissance festival um that was giving me some some solid uh wicker man vibes christopher lee wicker man vibes sure um and there's this whole marriage sequence where they're Elaine and Griff are married in this Renaissance festival, like um, hand binding ceremony where they tie their mm-hmm. hands together and say, now you are married. And that's basically uh, if Dave ever officiates a future wedding, that's what he's going to do. That's exactly what I'll do. That, that will be <laughs> I'm, my new I'm hoping. <laughs> in my role as an official Internet minister. I will, um, <laughs> I will perform. Ceremonies. I'm seriously hoping that from 
this day forward that I can convince Dave, <coughs> pardon me, to change his name to Griff. Yes, I will. As <laughs> a result of viewing this film. Griff I, is a fantastic name. I mean, name. there's Meadows. lots of Daves Griff out there, Meadows. but how many Griffs do you know? Not nearly I enough. Know. I feel like there were a lot in the 90s. There may have been. Great misfortune of not knowing any of them. Well, we've gone on quite a bit about this movie, and um, I think as uh, I think I think as we would all agree, it, it's worth checking out. Please, please uh, give it a little bit of love. A lot of hard work went into this, and it, it uh, deserves to be viewed. If you uh, watch this movie and listen to our podcast, tweet us. We have a Twitter handle at Monsters and Drinks, um, where you can find the monster movie happy hour crew and let us know what you think absolutely uh and this is our first (laughs) our first attempt uh with any bit of luck we'll be doing another one in a few weeks here and it might be a little bit better and who knows (laughs) if we if we we enjoy that enough we'll do a third one and a fourth one and and incrementally perhaps figure out what the hell it is we're doing but uh anybody have anything they'd like to say anything you've been watching or look forward to watching in the upcoming weeks before we sign off Oh, a great pause fell over the trifecta. That's right. Well, I, I, I think I can safely speak for at least Scott and myself. A couple of nights ago, uh, we went to the Walker, uh, the uh, art center in Minneapolis, where there was a free viewing of the Robert Eggers movie, Lighthouse, which is, is due out this week. And, uh, today, we got in th- fact. Today, that's right, today. Uh, we got there in plenty of time, or so we thought. We looked at the small, perhaps 30-person line mm-hmm. and thought, well, let's grab a cocktail and something to eat. And we literally were able to watch this line, and it appeared not to grow one iota. So about an hour later, we paid our bill and walked to the line. And they said, oh, this is the, this is the head of the line. And so we walked to the back, to the corner, and lo and behold, it stretched down the hallway and then it went around a curb, went through a door, and then it went up a flight of stairs into the parking lot, and then up to the second level of the parking lot. And we were... More than more, 100 people. Oh, considerably more than 100 people. Apparently, there were 325 seats, and Scott and I came... Excuse me. Scott and I came in at about 340 or 350. And there were 100, there were, at least 100 At least 100 us. or more after us. So there was a huge turnout to see this Robert Eggers movie, The Lighthouse, uh, which to me looks fantastic. Now I, you know, I have to admit I'm a huge devotee of of his, uh, his movie The Witch, and I know that you two certainly are. Yes. Uh, keep in mind, folks, the three of us are history people. It's at our core, and so if somebody goes the extra mile to make sure that the costuming and the dialogue and the atmosphere and the sensibilities of the time are represented, we're all over it. And then you throw in the supernatural horrific element. And I think the three of us also appreciate a good slow burn movie. Absolutely. Uh, so we love The Witch. We're looking forward to uh, Robert Eggers' Lighthouse. It's a shame we didn't get a chance to see it there tonight, but we will see it soon enough. And Mary, do you have anything? What, 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 what's coming up in about a week? What can you tell us? What's happening next Friday night on Shudder? Excellent segue. Yes, Um, a subtle one. That's right. (laughs) Keep in mind, by the time by the time we eventually broadcast this, this will have been a done event. That's true. But uh, but 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 we are recording this in mid October. Well, if anyone hasn't uh, 
subscribe to Shudder. I highly recommend it. It's like Netflix, but for horror movies. And it's delightful. Um, and Joe Bob Briggs and Darcy the Mail Girl have a live stream show um, where they uh, give context to a movie, um, give some critical interpretation and feedback throughout this live broadcast of a doubleheader film. Um, and we just have enjoyed enjoyed the entire experience immensely and had the great fortune to meet them while Dave was an artist in residence in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Indeed. Um, not far from where I grew up. And we, they were, Joe, Bob, and Darcy were at a local monster movie convention. W- Scott and I flew out there mm-hmm. to see Dave and to meet Darcy and Joe, Bob, who were gracious and wonderful and just a, an absolute class act. And we were delighted to hear that they're doing a Halloween special. That's which they, I think up. they're calling the Halloween Hootenanny. The Halloween Hootenanny, which I think the um, the title uh, was uh, chosen by Darcy's son. That's right. Which is perfect. <laughs> yes, and the movie and the this uh, affair is going, what are the hours, Dave? You, you Well, it depends upon whether you're Eastern or Central. I think for those of us here living in the Midwest, it's going to start at 8 o'clock. And it will go till perhaps 3 o'clock. Which Next sounds grand morning. to me, but yes. one has to brace themselves for one those does. of us who are in advanced years. That's exactly right. But <laughs> I, I, do think I go to sleep <laughs> earlier than both of you. <laughs> it's all right. But at least two of the uh, Monster Movie Happy Hour crew are going to attempt to st- stay up and pull an all-nighter yes. watching yes. Joe Bob and Darcy on uh, Last Drive-In uh, in their Halloween hootenanny. That's on Friday, October 25th. My my money is on Halloween 3. You know, Halloween 3 is one of my personal favorites. Uh, we probably lost half of our 10 or 12 listeners at the moment <laughs> I said that. But uh, I really, truly love that movie. And maybe at some point in the future we can talk about it in length. So, folks, I think we should probably wrap this up. And I would just like to uh, thank everybody for listening to us. I oh, need and to, Scott's I raising his hand. He has something to say. We should mention... Yes, please. However briefly, um, that uh, the, the next episode, or whatever you want to call this, if That's you want to call this an episode. Yes, of course. The next episode, our intention is to um, uh, discuss uh, Jennifer's Body, a mm-hmm. film from 2009, Which if I'm correct. has a strong Minnesota connection, does it, it not? It does. written by um, Diablo Cody, who was a an employee at Minneapolis's own Sex World Um Check them out. Drove by it without stopping many a time when I, when I worked in Minneapolis. Pure <laughs> I'm hardly pure, but I did not stop at sex. Well, perhaps I, I really should have. I'm now. the sullied bad side. I've been inside the building. Oh, dear. It's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. It's very fun. Thank you, Mary. Yeah. Uh, so, in case yes. you wondered. But it, takes, but it takes place in Minnesota. I'm, I'm looking for, I've never seen Jennifer's body. Uh, I'm sure we'll have people who will, will argue with us that uh, uh, it's not an appropriate choice for a monster movie. But you know what, folks? The, the whole idea here, we may call ourselves a monster movie happy hour. Really, we're interested in so many aspects of the uh, horror and supernatural uh, uh, movie world. So it's really pretty wide open. And we live in Minnesota. We're going to do our best to try to draw attention to anything with a Minnesota connection. And we hope you will uh, be along with us for the ride. 
and uh, folks, all anything ten of you. you want to say? Yes, all ten of you. <laughs> I think we should raise our raise our almost depleted glasses here, and we should toast um, really anybody who has labored at at, at making a movie. Uh, this is not an easy thing to do, and um, even if we don't necessarily give something a high rating, we certainly respect all of the hard the hard effort and the heart that went into it. So cheers! Here, cheers. Uh. <laughs> there we go. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>